So you're trying out for a mascot, huh? Well, give me everything you've got and I'll make the call. You've got it, sir. Here's the first one. Focus groups love it! So the mascot is stronger than everything else in the series? Nope, not gonna take. No problem. We've got something else to try. Well, this is a pleasant turn of events. To be quite honest, Buffner, I'd bring you up as being incorrigible. What did he say? He called you a gerbil. Nah, nah, that won't do it all. Too high-pitched. You'll tear their eardrums out in a bit. Out in eight bit. Then we'll have to break out the big guns like this. There's a slight problem with that being under strict copyright. Plus, nobody can understand it. Next! Well, okay, this one will be it, definitely! Hi, Caramba! Hi, Leo! Ha ha! Excellent! Make an ostracide? And fine! The lumus pile of goo it is! My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Meeky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack number 79, Dragon Wick. Today, we are talking about a trilogy of Dragon Warrior games. Not the first trilogy, we've done that, been there, done that, done that, been there. Yes, we are talking about the second trilogy, Dragon Warrior 4, 5, and 6. Which Dragon are... Quest, really. Dragon Quest, there you go. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there was a trademark a long time ago that prevented it being called Quest for this region. Yeah, I think about some kind of tabletop RPG. No, I think there's tabletop RPGs for both Dragon Quest and Dragon Warrior for these days. So. And that doesn't have anything to do with the game franchise. Makes sense for that. And now that we've sufficiently destroyed your intro... No, intro's been destroyed! Uh, anyways... Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's talking about trilogies, and all those voices are people that we should introduce, right? Uh, let's see here. We have Mr. Mike Minky. Am I supposed to say something other than what I've already said? Uh-oh. Um, 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 it's only eight weeks till the election. It might be seven now. Gosh. By the time I get it edited, it'll be six <laughs> or five. Mr. Cunningham. Michael Cunningham. I have to say something? I don't want to. But thou must. <laughs> and... No love. No love whatsoever. I'm so sad. Mr. Shlothan. Hello. Hello. I 
continue to know not what to say. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I love the energy here to not energy. Love it. <laughs> Yay! That's okay because we're about to kick in the high gear because we're going to talk about Dragon Quest Four, one of my favorite RPGs of all time. When we come back after these commercial messages. Talking about Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior 4. So it was Warrior, right, on my Nintendo when I played it back in the day? It was. Yes, it was. Yeah, okay. So. It's been like, I don't know, 20-some years. So uh, that, that Nintendo cartridge fetches quite a bit of money now, I understand. Drat, I should have kept it. This uh, <laughs> this uh, Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior 4 was uh, developed by by Chunsoft, uh, published by Enix and Square Enix on the NDS version. This was released in North America in October 1992 on the Nintendo Entertainment System, and then uh, later released on your Nintendo DS handheld system on September 16th, 2008. A little bit of a remake going on there, and we will talk about both of these here on RPG Backtrack. So, Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Quest IV, wow. Um, this was a really, really cool game back in the day. I played it on Nintendo uh, not too long after playing Final Fantasy. Uh, one of my relatives gave me this for, I don't remember even what it was for, birthday, Christmas, something or other. And, uh, you know, holy cow, talk about a kind of a, a different experience. You know, Final Fantasy, you make up your, uh, you know, your four characters and you're kind of thrust into, uh, a, I wouldn't say a totally open world. Uh, you got a, you got a path you kind of, kind of got to follow, but it is kind of, you know, for Nintendo back in those days, that was pretty big and, you know, really opened up your imagination. The Dragon Quest Four, you start off with one character <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, you know, it's definitely more linear experience and, and you start going through that and he's already been named for you. You don't get to pick his class or anything. Uh, he gets a couple of, uh, pals on the way, I think, or one pal, at least a slime or the slime. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, you play that for a couple hours and next thing you know, you're playing another character in another chapter of the game. And uh, and rinse and repeat like three three more times or two more times. There's four four chapters that introduced it. Well, all five chapters introduced characters, but you got like these four introductory chapters, and and that was really cool because you'd play one character in one chapter, one uh, one main protagonist, and then uh, let's see, the second chapter was what was that the girls no, or was it that the, is a girl. A oh, girl the princess, right? The muscle of the group. The muscle of the group. Yep, yep. Princess Elena. <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, uh, so, and then, it really caught me off guard back then that you know the the princess was you know not she wasn't even the well equipped warrior she was the just strip nothing but the, it's the weak armor and claws and knives on occasion and just beating things up with a raw brute strength character which mm. like, rare to see even now that kind of thing let alone back in the NES era and she was pretty awesome for it too. Yeah, later in the game, she's usually the fastest one. 
And she's guaranteed to be crazy fast and crazy strong and really, really useful for doing damage to any boss in the game. Hmm. Yeah. And, and then there's Torneko's chapter. Yeah, Torneko, and that's, right? you know, a totally different flavor. He's a merchant. You actually start off at the beginning of the chapter, uh, or really close to it, buying and selling things and running the shop for a while. That was pretty cool. And then you I eventually loved. get tired of it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not meant to be uh, something that you're doing for you know hours and hours. But I, I thought it was a very original. I mean, for back in 1990, it didn't take much to be original. Uh, no, it it really was original because yeah. I mean, Dragon Quest up to that time, you had really just had grinding, battling, everything else. So when you got this, and you got to this chapter, which was the third chapter, you're like, oh, I figure this big old guy's gonna go out and do that stuff too. Well, no. I mean, you could sit back and just chill. He wasn't the best fighter in the world by any means, but, you know. Heck no. It was, it was a really interesting dynamic shift that they had with him because um, you could actually stay in the shop and try to make money. And I actually know a staff member, I think, that did for the longest time. Um, and I don't want to call her out, but I think she <laughs> might have actually done the entire chapter just by selling stuff in the shop, not actually going out and getting the items and grinding and getting the extra stuff that you could to get the gold you needed. So it, it's doable. It just takes a heck of a lot of time to do. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's really an interesting thing to have them buying and selling stuff. It's also all fun just going around hiring mercenaries and getting like, the best item drops in the game for just, just to get tons of money. I love that chapter. Yeah, you can really, uh, you can really get a leg up on the money there. You you play that just, you know, you play that ride and put some time into it. Um, and 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 so you know, and that was and that was definitely again, it was totally different. And when he goes out and he fights, he's not the strongest fighter, but he's he's got the you know he's got the abacus, and uh, that does kind of random weird things, right? It kind of gives him an edge in battle, and uh, I and now my memory on some of this is like twenty years old. I did play some of the the DS remake, but um, for, for the most part, I got through the Nintendo version way back in the day. And then we had yeah. uh, the fourth chapter was the twins, or were they twins? Or they just sisters? They were just sisters, weren't they? They're sisters. You actually didn't you skip over Ragnar? He was the first. No, that's the first. Yeah, I didn't say his name, but one. yeah, that was the first one. Yeah, so the first one you're Ragnar. playing Ragnar, yeah, soldier. You actually played as the hero for a little while, and then you played as Ragnar, so that's why I was kind of getting... Oh, in the Nintendo version? No, in the DS one at least. Yeah, that's added to the DS. That's added to DS. Oh, did that change? See, uh, I only played the DS one. That's a good point. You know, on the DS version, you get the extra bonus prelude. All 45 (laughs) minutes of it, if that. I think it was more like 20 minutes, maybe. Yeah, it's probably more accurate. It, It wasn't long. And I, I guess we should give Square Enix's localizers credit because they went all out. When you play Ragnar, you're in a, you're in a land where everybody is sad. Ooh. I'm not doing it quite right, but you get the idea. And everyone needs like to be surrounded. You're maxing uh, out your mic there, big guy. Yeah, I think between him cutting out and doing that accent, the sky just exploded. Uh, he's about to say, and all of Scotland's going to rain down on the U.S. of A. for slaughtering their language, or their, their accent, I should say. Uh, if James Duhon did it for years on Star Trek, they won't get after me. <laughs> but going back to what Mike was imitating, they definitely had very unique 
dialects that they worked into the DS remakes, and it was uh, kind of controversial. Some people loved it. It might have gone a little over the top at times. Yeah, but definitely, definitely had a personality. It definitely was fun. I mean, it's interesting using terms like Sarvena instead of Princess. I can't remember for what they called Elena. Anyways, but still, they went so much into weird spellings and such that it's just got a little unreadable and certainly almost on the edge of offensive at times. Especially, yeah, with char- especially in five, where you start characters you start playing like really bad stereotypes and such, even though they're major <laughs> characters. Yep, but it can be entertaining when it's doing where it's done well. I agree. It adds personality to it, and it's not just a by the books translation. So I wasn't. The- I didn't have a problem with it. No, I enjoyed it. Of course, I'm used to sifting through odd accents anyway, so that was nothing new. And then there's the last chapter before you join the hero where Mina and Maya try to find... Um, yeah, they're trying to find their father's murderer. Plan where everybody yeah, speaks with a bad French accent. Really bad French accent. Wee <laughs> wee. Oui, oui. Ooh, enchanté. I'm kind of curious, what did everybody think about this game? How, how did this oh, hold up as far as your Dragon Quest stuff? Not too fast! Uh-oh. Don't, don't rush ahead. We got a schedule here on the backtrack now. So we, Come on, man. We talked about the first – we, we kind of talked about – I guess the, we talked about the girls. We didn't talk about the girls. So you have the fourth chapter is about the, the, two, the two sisters. One's a fortune teller. The other one's a dancer. And essentially one of them casts spells and the other one weird, reads cards that has uh, – well, I think she's kind of like a healer. And, and she's the one – the healer is the one that reads – or the magic – Maya the dancer is the attack Mina the fortune teller is like a cleric type. Yeah, and the the, the cards uh, that she reads can have random effects, uh, kind of like the abacus except stronger, I suppose. Um, so that was pretty cool. And so you go through like the first eight to ten levels of each one of these for the most part before you move on to the next chapter. You, I think it took like an you know an hour and a half, two and a half hours, something like that. Yeah, you know, for each one, and then you start the fifth chapter where you're finally playing a hero, and I think you actually get the name to hero and even pick the gender in the Nintendo version. Yeah, you name the hero and pick the, pick the gender, but I think gender's only for the DS version. The original one, you only had instead of the male hero. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and so that's where your you know your true adventure starts opening up when you're playing the hero. You're gonna start. Uh, your the hero has her or his first uh, you know couple of adventures to get them through. Uh, the first half dozen or a dozen levels, and then you start running into the other people that you've done the chapters on, and they uh, naturally, you know, join up uh, with with the group. And that's this, you know, and then for the next thirty, forty hours, this is where you're in the epic quest to, uh, you know, vanquish the great big evil or whatnot. And yeah, there's no way I'm going to remember to plot twenty three la- years later, aside from the fact of remembering <laughs> that there was a big evil guy that I had to defeat. And I remember the gameplay a lot more than I'll ever remember what, you know, kind of little storyline. I do remember that in that those first four chapters, and I don't know if it's any better on the NDS version, but those first four chapters, you really got to meet the characters and you and you had the storyline being fed to you. And, and it was NES, so there wasn't a lot of memory, so it wasn't like this was War and Peace. Um, but compared to, let's say, you know, Final Fantasy, it was pretty substantial. There's some character development going on. Uh, you definitely, you know, became attached to the characters. But then when you get to the main hero part, you're kind of swept into this whole, you know, save the world shtick. 
And the other people that you run back into, the characters who you got the introduction to, you'll say hi to them and stuff, and they'll, you know, they'll have a few lines and come, you know, they'll have a reason to want to join your group, and then you don't hear a whole lot more from them after that. Um, they, yeah, they joined the group. Definitely... I don't know if that did they fix or not. I wouldn't say fix it, but they, did they, is that something they highlight? You know, maybe. Well, improve? it's kind of a thing which is an interesting thing that they did actually transform that heavily mm-hmm. in for the DS remake, but we didn't get to in the US. You see. In the DS remake, they added all kinds of ability to talk to your party members and hear their comments on just about everything in the game. They, can, they have a lot of personality and voice added in, and a lot of character development added in through that method, but they completely cut that out for the US localization because it would be too much work for them. So we missed out on that. So we just basically got something not terribly different from the NES version, which was fairly simplistic. Aww. <laughs> yeah, if you've played Dragon Quest V, then I gather that the talk function in four was pretty much the same thing, but we got it in five and we didn't in four. So thanks a lot. So, I mean, and, and, and we'll wrap up the story part here with, with this, because there really isn't much story. It sounds like in the NDS well, version either. I can always talk about the villain because it's kind of interesting. Dragon Quest four. Okay. It's main villain is, you have this crazy name to sorrow, the manslayer is basically, you basically could say he's, He's basically the guy who every later major Japanese RPG villain from then on is modeled after. He's one of the most single influential characters in all of Japanese RPGs. Which I, suppose is I agree with that. Yeah, I can definitely see it. Demon oh, that he... was once a man, hated humanity, has the long flowing gray hair, kind of a precursor to Sephiroth and style. He's actually so. a halfway decent villain, too, in terms of he shows up a lot, has some characterization and all that. And yeah, in, the DS ver- in the DS version, you can even recruit him in the post-game, which is kind of crazy. But yes. even though he's the final boss, you can recruit him and <laughs> fight with him in the, use him in the post-game and fight a different final boss. The, the boss that was uh, responsible for warping his mindset against humans and beating the crap out of him so that you sort of redeem his character in the end. Yeah, loved that addition to it. That was a great addition to that game. Hmm. So yeah, you wouldn't have seen that on the Nintendo, Phil. That was added for later version. Hmm. I, I don't know why this all involved fighting a guy who looks like a chi- who acts and pretends to be a chicken, though, and it's like named after a <laughs> meal food. I just remember him being a big bad. I thought he was a dragon or something when I fought him. I thought he had multiple heads. Um, well, when I fought him, he had, what, seven forms? Uh, yeah, a crazy number of forms. He was constantly transforming and evolving. It's actually a really fun boss fight. It was my favorite in quite a while, really. Mm. I think that's a good uh, segue to talk about, the to, to move into the combat section. So, Dragon Quest, uh, all the Dragon Quest games, and, and this is really well no difference in 4, for the most part, are typical, traditional, turn-based, you know, JRPG deals. Um, everyone who's heard me talk on the, you know, this show knows that I have been around for so long that, and I feel like the JRPG formula is stale, but with that, the traditional formula, but with that being said, Dragon Quest has always done it so well! That somehow, Amen. it's just... <laughs> Uh, most agree. most JRPGs, uh, people throw my way, uh, they'll put me to sleep. Um, but, uh, you know, Brave Story, I had a friend who was, that's on the PSP, very traditional, you know, it's very beautiful graphics. Very, but the, the battle systems are traditional turn-based, and those things put me to sleep. They usually attack, attack, heal, attack, attack, heal. No strategy, no thought, slow as hell. I, got I actually like do. Brave Story, so uh, I don't agree with you on that, but I do in most cases. 
But but with dragon but with dragon uh well I it, very sorry I just fell asleep I just I, boy I was like oh, another battle but in dragon <laughs> quest and dragon quest dragon warrior uh, they're a little bit faster they're a little bit tighter and a lot of times when you're in the dungeons a lot of times it's it is life and death like the dungeons can can kind of drain your resources pretty quick and you do yeah, kind of brutal they can be brutal and that keeps you on your toes and even though they're you know they're now. <laughs> here's 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 this is a bittersweet type of thing on the nintendo version um your party members from the first four chapters you're controlling you get to the fifth chapter you control the hero your other party members are controlled by the ai and it's i believe supposedly the nes version makes one character utterly useless because all he does is cast instant death spells that don't work oh don't sell this that should be healing don't even get me sure. started i don't remember if i i i, I think you know i put i could pick strategies for the team uh or tactics but it's still yes. yeah but it's still driven by the ai so mostly i would have them conserve mp and, and then you know and take that off during you know tough fights but it was it was really irritating. I'm used to having. Uh, I come from Western RPG world. I'm used to playing Advanced Dungeon Dragons on my computer in '87 or something like that, where I can control whole teams on tactical battle grids. And suddenly, I'm playing a JRPG where the only thing I control is my hero and our group tactics, which is run by the AI. So it was really, really irritating. The only thing it would help you out is every once in a while, if your character, if everybody had full health, but your character got smacked right away for a lot of health, the AI would jump in and heal you sometimes, and that's something you couldn't do if you had control of everybody. Because they would heal you in the same round that you just got smacked in. So every once in a while, that was cool. Now, the Nintendo DS version comes out. You better believe, even though it's 20 years later, or 15 years later, whenever it was that the NDS version came out, I read the reviews to see if they made it to where you could control the party members. Yes, and, and it was so good that it, you could. And it was so good that you could, absolutely. It and, makes the tactics so much better. I can't imagine playing with just dumb AIs. The funny yeah. thing is, is that you know a number of reviewers, if they didn't play the original one or they didn't have it fresh in their memories, wouldn't even point that out like it's a big deal because that's you know it's typical to expect to be able to control your whole party in you know JRPGs and nah, but uh, you know GameSpot had a review that specifically highlighted that point. And I went out and bought it right away. So, yeah. So that's really good about the NDS version versus the NES version. So, yeah. But with. I hadn't played the NES version, and going into the DS version, enjoying that aspect of it, it. I didn't even know it didn't exist until after I'd finished the game. And I think the NDS version does allow you to use those tactics for faster. You know, I guess yeah. that would make the battles faster, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, it's. I never did, though. Yeah, never did, yeah. Because yeah, that... I can't remember four has it, but I know at least in five there's an enemy which. Well, it's, it's extremely annoying that it it's, it randomly yells out out orders and your priorities suddenly go to AI command rather than being controlled, which is the most annoying thing ever. Yeah, I had that happen a few times. And yes, it means that you have to go into the menu either during the battle or after and just switch everybody back to follow commands. I've never seen a video game to so much, so much to deliberately annoy the player like that. Hmm. So, so yeah, that that is something else. Now, with that with that being said, I I had a lot of time during that summer. So even though that was kind of made me cranky, when I got to the fifth chapter, and yeah, they took that 
right, to make decisions away from me <laughs> every turn, um, I stuck with it, and, and I'm glad I did. Like, it carried, you know, it's, once you get kind of used to it, and you learn to turn off their magic point usage, otherwise they just waste their magic points most of the time, um, you know, heal outside of battles whenever possible type of thing, uh, it, 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 you know, you get used to it, you get used to it, um, so, but other than that, yeah, Mike, you like the, you like the battle system a lot too, don't you? I love Dragon Quest battle system. It is exactly what you said, one of the faster JRPG battle systems out there. It's more about strategy and actually planning than just basic attack, 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 heal. And the fact you could control your party members in this version really helps. And one thing I absolutely love about the Dragon Quest series altogether is the fact that when you're in a dungeon, you know, it could be a hard dungeon, could be just out grinding, you do something stupid and you die you don't lose all your progress. I absolutely love that aspect of it. Yes, you lose money and you go back to the back to the church and you have to, you know, go back yeah. to where you were at. And if you're really uh, poor, then you have to revive all the people who died with you and that can take a little bit, but that's the worst. Right. Right. And if you're smart with your money and actually bank it instead of just carrying huge lump sums <laughs> of money with you at all times, it is so user-friendly because I hate, absolutely hate, 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 hate with a passion any RPG where I lose complete progress. Where you go through, you get a game over screen, you're tossed back to the last save. That I have no patience for anymore. So Dragon Quest really, really hits home with me, and I love the series for that. And just, yeah, and the battle system itself, the different character classes, they're all unique. They have their own style, they have their own combat uh, you know, setups where you can I mean, for, even for the, the parties. Yeah, the thing is, Dragon Quest Four, it's like there's you got two warriors, two attack mages, and two healers, but they're all each very different. And you've got Ragnar and Elena, who are one's a heavy knight who uses every weapon armor in the game; the other hardly uses any armor at all, just fights with pure stats. You've got Boria and and Maya doing magic. Boria's got ice magic. Maya's got all the fire magic, and can turn into a dragon eventually. And they just play very differently. You've got the two different healers who. One's got the fortune telling gimmick, the other doesn't. I forget some of the more specific details. and It's a lot of interesting stuff like that. Yeah, it's perfect because, I mean, just for the reasons you said, there's so much variety there. It's not just, oh, here's White Mage 1 and White Mage 2. No, there's different <laughs> reasons to use different characters. So you pick your own strategy, decide you know how you want to balance your party out, and go from there. And, 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 and very conveniently... Except in a few dungeons that limit your party, everybody gets experience from fights. That's so helpful. Also, it's like you can also, in mid-battle, change your party around, in which lets you, like, if a person gets hurt, you can pull them out of the party and replace them with someone who's fresh. And it shouldn't use a full party healing. You heal everyone in all slots. So you can do a rotating party thing to keep yourself going through desperate attacks and constantly change your strategy up, which is really fun. And that's that's what added that's what gave, you know, even the NES version the the need of death to actually keep me interested all the way through. So you don't get in the NES version you only got tactics and that takes away some of the strategy. But by having extra party members in your wagon that you can pull out any time and, and just about, you know, like I say, except for a few dungeons, um, it really, really adds a lot of depth, you know, to the game. Uh, again because like you said, the different casters, even if they're kind of the same role, they each have different spells uh, and the such. So, um, or the fighters fight differently. So, pulling out the right person at the right time for the right situation uh, it can make a huge difference. Even if you're, you know, stuck with the with the NES tactics only version. 
And so that really does. And that was, again, you know, talk about things that, you know, kind of did new and different and, and, you know, off the wall that I, I, that was the first game I played where I had multiple party members that I could, you know, switch out, switch out on the fly like that. Final Fantasy IV on the, you know, Super Nintendo, uh, you had multiple characters, but you really didn't get to swap out when you want to. The storyline dictated, you know, who you had in your party. It wasn't until, um, it wasn't until, uh, you know, maybe I played some Shining Force on the Genesis, but it really wasn't until Final Fantasy VI that uh, I got to experience that whole party swapping thing again. Um, well, uh, Breath of Firehead, I think you had the mid-battle party swapping. That was before, well before Final Fantasy VI. But, mm, yeah. but I didn't like Breath of Fire. <laughs> yeah, just the fact that Dragon Quest IV did that so early compared yeah. to other series is, you know, yeah, so pluses. In many ways, Dragon, Dragon Quest series is the kind of thing where it does it, it's its thing, it does it very well in a way that few people really understood and emulated properly in many games to follow after, sadly. Mm-hmm. Yep. And one other thing about the battle system, I'd just like to say that it is so well well tailored for being on a handheld system. It moves real fast, and really, that's the most important thing for a handheld battle system for me lately. If it moves fast, then I can set it down and not have to worry about coming back in the middle of a battle and wonder, what the hell was I doing earlier? So on the, for uh, you know the area of graphics on your Nintendo DS the 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 eight color or whatever many colors Nintendo had uh, sprites have been uh, exchanged out for some 3D graphics, right? Yes, well, actually... and they they're very smoothly animated in battle. Well, it's still mostly 2D animated sprites; they're just really well animated. And you could rotate the environments was the one change that the DS version had. So you could actually rotate around. And that was one thing that actually became a problem at one point for me. And I can't remember which of the three it was, but there's, you know, like a staircase or something hidden. And if you don't rotate, you can't see it. So you just happen to have to look up on it. There's a lot of stuff like that in Dragon Quest V, so I'm open it. Yeah. But regardless, still good. Mm-hmm. Graphics never have been, you know, the cutting edge with the Dragon Quest series. Now, now, now. Um, never complain about well-animated 2D sprites. Now, they had their, they had their well-animated facial features found on the blue slime. <laughs> the big smiling slimes that you attack from level one on the way up to the metallic slimes later on, they're always smiling at you. Oh, They're so yeah. happy to have the crap kicked out of them. I'll, I'll never bash Dragon Quest as far as its graphics go. But at the same time, I'm never going to laud it either, so it's never going to be up there. What you can laud is the... I would laud Dragon Quest 8's graphics at the time. Oh, 8. Oh, that was so pretty. I won't deny that. But But one thing you can laud about Dragon Quest 4 is its music. 20 years later, it still got stuck in my head. It's, It's incredible. The only one that really sticks with me is, I guess it's Elena's theme. I'm pretty sure it's the theme for her chapter. And the only reason I do is because we had a contest a few years ago here at RP Gamer, and one of it, one of those contests was for people to do remixes of different songs, and somebody did kind of a jazzed-up version of Elena's theme, and it was really, really impressive. So that's I had I listened to the theme before I played the game. So that was another. That was another first for me. Each character having their own 
you know, kind of their own theme song. In Final Fantasy, you've got, you know, four characters you make up. The game doesn't make songs for them. In Dungeons & Dragons, you didn't have songs for your characters. You made all those guys up, too. So he traded in. That was It was a hard pill for me, but I'm trading in all this freedom. But in return, I'm starting to get, you know, I'm getting, uh, you know, a little bit of a tighter story, more characterization, uh, personal touches like their own theme songs and stuff like that. It wasn't, it, you know, it was a formula that, that definitely was hit or miss with me, but um, with more hit on Dragon Quest 4 than, than misses um, but um, it was something that I've, uh, you know, I've said this before I think was perfectly personified in Final Fantasy 6 oh yeah <laughs> but uh, that whole idea that an RPG was more than creating uh, your own party or you know getting with friends and creating a party in an open world environment that it can instead be this you know this choreograph beginning to end with a tight script type characters when when they're pre when they're basically you know everything's done ahead of time and you you know you're you're getting dictated to who's going to be in your party and that's part of the story uh that that it can create a tighter uh you know kind of a book-like experience but you're playing through it and that's you know that makes it more engaging than a book um okay so we talked about that that, that. so a little off the wall things cuz Dragon Quest 4 had Plenty of off the wall things. One of the one of the most awesome things, and I remember doing this to this day in Florida, sitting in my bedroom during the summer, sinking hours and hours into the casino. I, I, oh God, the casino! You I just imagine. I mean, Nintendo, they're eight big. They, 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 it's eight bit. That cartridges only hold megabytes. You know, today <laughs> a picture I take on my camera is bigger than Dragon Quest, you know, four on the Nintendo cartridge. And 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 somehow, on top of having all these characters and storyline and graphics and battle system all programmed in, they managed to squeeze in an entire casino where they had numerous mini games. Uh, you know, a poker. Uh, black, I think Blackjack was in there, and uh, in an arena match where you could put bets down as monsters kick the and slots. Can't forget the slots. Oh, game. slot. Okay, so maybe it wasn't Blackjack. Maybe it was slots. Was there Blackjack? I think so. I remember. I, can't the, I remember the poker. No, it was in five. I can't remember four. Yeah. So uh, on the Nintendo, I figured out a way. I think I put like a pound of, or a roll of quarters on the A button, so it just keep playing until I made <laughs> enough money. <laughs> You know, <laughs> I, yeah, I That's just slogged my way through the. In four, I used the arena. It's my best way of gaining money because I just learned the arena and got really good at that, and used that to eventually get the Gringham Whip at the end. But that took some effort. It's fun though. Mm. Uh, I really like casino even better than fives. You know, fives kind of step down for me afterwards. Ah, uh, you know, and then the other thing that I would do is abuse the save function. You know, so you you you, yeah. you go through a series of of a poker hand. You keep betting money, and and if you do really good, you quick you run out and you save. If you tank a bunch in a row and you lose your shorts, you reset. And eventually, you're gonna have enough money to get whatever the heck, or enough uh, poker ch- or free whatever they call reward tokens or whatever that you that you can only earn in the casino to get some of these really cool high end stuff. But you did have to spend hours abusing. You know the system more or less to do that, um, and I remember, yeah, that was pretty cool. And I think you do that in the Nintendo DS version too, right? You can save and stuff, just run out and yep. save. Save abuse is necessary for getting any amount of money in the casino. <laughs> oh, I have a question: Were the mini medals in the original NES version, or is that something they add later on at some point? Ooh. I've always been wondering that. I couldn't, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. Um, I don't remember mini medals. What could you do? Can you do anything with them? There's well, a guy on an them. island somewhere who, as you collect them, will give you prizes for them. 
just because he's such he's addicted to collecting mini metals and buy gum if you give them to him he'll reward you perfect reason perfectly reasonable um yeah no i don't remember that top of my head but it is it is possible that it was in there and i never found the guy on the island so it never stuck out my memory I might have just collected emails and go, what the heck are these? And, you know, beat the game and never figured out what they were for. You know, back in those days, no, you know, no, no websites to go check, no FAQs. Uh, and I was too for, uh, poor to afford Nintendo Power, which probably would have told me for a fact. <laughs> I actually, this is Nintendo the... Power is how I learned about this game originally. Well... I don't think I'm very experienced it way back when. And one thing I'm very proud of is that this is a diff... This is, this is a pretty darn difficult uh, JRPG. And it can be, a, a, you know, a little easier easy if I remember to get lost at times uh it wasn't like you re you know you had perfect guides to tell you where to go to next and but I got through it dang it and I beat it I beat that big boss at the end I remember being the big boss at the end <laughs> now with Final Fantasy I had uh I had some help from uh from a friend who told me about ribbons and he I think he had a Nintendo Power and showed me a few things from that but Dragon Quest 4 buddy was all on my own so ha 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 um, you go in. I know. Final <laughs> Fantasy Four and Final Fantasy Six were the other, you know, two RPGs all the time I had that I got completely through without a guide. But um, uh, cool, cool. Well, I think that's <clears throat> probably you know it for four. So, Mister, well, Mister, th- there's Mr. one other thing we could say, which is that there's a third version of this on the PlayStation, which was actually advertised here. I saw previews for it in Electronic Gaming Monthly, uh-huh. and then it never came over. Don't! I gather that the DS version pretty much includes everything that was in that remake anyway, but at the time, yeah, I, I understand... They identical, too, I think. I think they do, yeah. Or very close. Yeah. But it, it would have been pretty much one of the very last things the PlayStation 1 got over here, and it didn't happen. Hmm. Um. Cool. Well, um, I think that's all. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that jumped out of my head. I just remember it being a you know a pretty cool game despite its limitations. And of course, you know back then, you know on the Nintendo, they've obviously made some changes to the NDS version uh, that makes it more you know deeper experience, more strategic because you get to pick your individual actions. Um, Plus, you know, as Mr. Minky mentioned, it's a really great game to, to have on a go and uh, just be able to pop that bad boy, you know, open and play that whenever you want, wherever you want. Oh, Phil, it, oh. You, you had a small story about why you never finished it on the DS, right? Well, somebody stole it. Yeah. Yes. I had to, I had to, I was carrying it in my pocket all the time and just trying to get in because I did get the NDS version and I started playing through it. And uh, and I don't remember exactly where I left it. It was somewhere in the hotel. But I mean, two ten minutes later, I went back to grab it, and it was already gone. And that's that's what happens in oh. hotels. And uh, and and I was more ticked off about losing my progress in Dragon Quest Four than I was about having to replace the DS. <laughs> you know, or an, and 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 the, and the cartridge. By the way, I think I think I, it was a used DS I bought for fifty bucks, and you know, the cartridge is probably another twenty. But uh, you know, it's a, it's a, time is precious. Time so. is very precious. Now, one thing I do want to say about Dragon Quest Four before we quit is the one thing that I really do appreciate about it is it's one of the shorter Dragon Quests. I mean, the original aside, compared <laughs> to like five and six, it's definitely a lot, and seven and eight. 
and even nine. Oh. Uh, I, I think saying it's shorter than seven is kind of like saying say, you're, you're, yeah. you're slower it's, than the Olympic runners. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, Dragon Quest Nine is like the game they advertise everyone will play 150 hours. And yeah, just yeah. comparatively, you know, looking at Dragon Quest Four, it took me I'm going to guess around I think 25 hours is what my records have, as opposed to like five, which took you know probably 35 or 33 or something like that, and then six, which took like 40. So hey, how long did Seven physical. take you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, I hadn't played it yet. Go back and play Seven. Let us know. It's on my list. I know. We'll see I'll you. Have a, we'll see you. I'll have two years for it. If you start now, I think we can get that report from you in 2015. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah, Seven. Oh boy. Uh, just, just wait. I'm sure it'll be remade eventually. I'm waiting for the remake. They'll announce it at TGS this week. So. Hey, Let's Gaijin's watch. there. We'll see. Yeah. Remake a Seven. Yeah, that's just a hope and dream. So if you're listening to this after TGS and it happened, I'm prophetic. Huh. You have been in the past. I see no reason for that to end. Yes. And you're pathetic, too. Well, you're peripatetic. Yes, that's all I had on Dragon Quest Four. I love it. And when we talk generally about the series at the end, I'd like to share more, but we'll skip ahead and save that for later. Yeah, so Def, uh, well, you know, I, I just just trying to pull this up, but yeah, it's just a, it's just a really, really fun game, and and you can play on Nintendo DS, and I, I don't, I don't think I'd recommend going out and play the NES version if you could definitely, <laughs> if you could play the NDS version, get the NDS version, and and you know, another cool thing is it's a really great TV game because it's turn-based combat, so you can watch TV and play it at the same time, but that's just me. Uh, <laughs> mm, uh, let's see here, so. Uh, let's see, Dragon Quest, uh, Dragon Quest Four. Uh, you said that the uh, NDS version or the D, the gosh, I can't get all these things. The Nintendo version was was expensive, right? Yeah, let me look here. Um, okay, you can get you can get the Nintendo. Holy mother! There's a brand new copy on eBay right now for five thousand dollars. Get out! Wow. <laughs> no, thank you. I'll stick with the DS version, which you can get night. the you can get the DS version uh, used for about twenty to twenty five. Uh, you can get the brand new version <laughs> for like forty five fifty. It's like fifty dollars for a brand new one on Amazon. You better go, I mean, go and grab it now. I bought that one. I think I bought that one for uh, Nick's for like eleven dollars during an Amazon sale. So yeah. She should turn around and sell it, I guess. It'd make her some money and I know, there. And I know informally that she also says this is a good game. She yes. who did not play Dragon Quest before this. Until I got her into it with this one. But that that's a story for when we're done with the three, so feel free to... So, let us move on to Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride. Developed by Chun Saw and uh, published by uh, Enix and Square Enix. This was released only in Japan on the Super Famicom on September 27, 1992, but it did eventually make its way over here to America on the Nintendo DS February 17, 2009. This is a single-player RPG experience rated E10+. It says E10, it's got a little plus sign, which stands for you will wait 10 plus years after its original release before you can play this in North America. 
So that's what that stands for in case you were wondering. Yeah, this is the, like, why didn't we get this? This is such an amazing game. It's been absolutely phenomenal way back when. So, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Minky, uh, you've played this. I'm, uh, I'm going to bow out for a little bit here because <clears throat> I have not. So, please, take it away. Okay. Dragon Quest V, well, as I've seen it phrased elsewhere, it does something that only one other JRPG I can think of has done, at least from the same vintage, which is Fantasy Star 3. And it does it a lot better than Fantasy Star 3, where you have a hero, your hero meets a couple of women, and he has to choose a bride from among them. And instead of that, just going... Yes. Sounds like real life. Yeah, it's not a good really. thing I'm not... Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave the actual romance out of this. And in the D- for the DS version, you have a third bride option instead of the two from the Super Famicom. But you get married, you move around with your wife for a while, and eventually both of you get turned into stone... And your kids come after you and save you from that. They're still little rugrats, eight years old or so. And eventually you find your wife again near the end. And you're one big happy family going off to kill the big bad guy. And I neglected to say that before you get married, before you even, well, you meet women. But, um, yeah, before you do that, before you do anything, you're a little kid looking up to daddy and your dad is going to be the big bad man who will save you from all the fiendish slimes that will beat the crap out of you if you let them because you're just a little kid until, yeah, until your dad gets set upon by an enemy who he refuses to fight back against and you get to watch as he dies. And I'll remember the name of that bad guy eventually, but he was actually... Bishop Lacha. Thank you. Bishop, Bishop Lacha is actually probably the best villain I've seen in the Dragon Quest series in that you love to hate him. He's just, he's he'd be so, despicable. <laughs> I don't know what's up with the way they translated his way of talking in the DS version of Dragon Quest V. It's weird as hell. But he's such a horrible guy you want to murder so bad. You gotta love games that inspire murder, so there you go. It's all about the murder. So why uh, why don't y'all talk a, a bit first about the the characters? Does this one have a, a a chapter structure similar to four? Does it have strong characters or at least beginnings of characters like four did? Or how, how did that work well, out in five? Unlike Dragon Quest Four, Chapters of the Chosen, this one it's only chapters are basically going forward the different eras in the life of the main character. You start with the main character when he's a kid. Then after his father dies, there's a time jump and there's it's more of his life as an adult. And then after he gets married and has kids, there's another time jump to when his kid's grown up. And that's the only real chapters of the game. Though all three kind of play rather differently. Um, for the most part, almost the entire game is played just with the main hero and maybe one companion at the time, plus the host of the monsters you can recruit. Yes, this is the game that started Monster Collection. We can thank Pokemon for Dragon Quest, because of Dragon Quest V. I mean, so we can thank Dragon Quest V for the fact existence of things like Pokemon and every other monster collecting thing ever since. It's an extremely influential game in uh, how much simple fact it created that. Um, beyond the part that you get married, Basically, yeah, it's just the main character, his monsters, and the various 
I mean, he's a kid, lots of random people join up with him, but eventually it's just his wife, and then eventually you get the kids, and then you can recruit a bunch of other people who are mostly inconsequential. Um, because it's got a party talk system that which was missing in our release before, characters actually get developed pretty well. There's a, you can, if you just hit party talk, you can see thousands of different conversations with different people. It, they're kind of limited by the fact that the main hero never speaks a word uh, ever. It's like two lines under weird circumstances. But other than that, the characters get a lot of characterization and personality to them. And all the three brides have very different personalities. The other characters have different personalities. And like every last little thing you do, they'll start reacting to. You can get like five different conversations in one room if you're lucky. And it's really interesting and fun. Yeah, the brides have the most personality of any of the characters in the game because they're not only, you know, full of personality themselves, each of them are so diverse. And, you know, you get the kids later on and they don't really do as much. But, you know, even they have a little bit of personality too. Whereas yeah. Dragon Quest Four was more about, you know, gathering this group of heroes. Dragon Quest Five had more of a family aspect. Everybody had ties to one another that were in your group. And, you know, the, the big gaps that were filled out by the huge party you had in four were just filled out by the monsters that you had in five. But everybody else, you know, that was still around with you, you know, you had your wife, you, early on you had your dad, like you said, and then the kids. Everybody has a reason to be together in this one. Which is a big plus. Cool, cool. So, um, you get, you eventually get married in this one, right? Yep. Well, halfway through the game you get married. Ah, and, and how does that mechanic, uh, how does that play into the game? What mechanics support that? Well, basically, there's no mechanics to it. It's basically at one point in the game, you get to choose which girl you propose to and marry, and then she accepts and you move on on and get married. There's no, it is nothing fancy like, rom, like affinity relationship numbers or anything like that. No, it's like yeah. pick A, B, or C. At one point in the game, you decide who you're going to choose, and that's, that's where it ends. And the things like the three different women are all well very different abilities in these and such. There's Bianca, the girl who's the childhood friend of the hero, who's basically just a country girl with well, she's basically a country girl who loves adventure and she's got higher levels and and she's a kind of a aggressive powers. Mm-hmm. There's but poor equipment. Meanwhile there's the rich kind of polite, classically hyper feminine girl Nera, who is just She's only going on adventure because she can't stand being separated from her husband. And yeah, she's kind she's of the stereotypical more... heroine or female. The, the, the ideal Japanese wife in <clears throat> in lore. Yes. And also, she's also rich and starts with great equipment, but because she doesn't adventure at all prior to joining the hero, she starts at level one. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. That, well, I gotta say, I married Deborah. And I know, talking to you, Mac, that you married her too. Yes, that was my choice as well. And she was my choice most... Oh, who was your choice? Uh, Bianca, my choice. I, I wish I had, but I, I ended up going with Deborah just because she was the new addition to this to the DS version. So I kind of wanted to experience that, even though I hadn't experienced the original. So it would have been new regardless. But the, the dialogue and everything they gave her was very interesting because she was so overbearing and dominant and just kind of abrasive, and it was it was hilarious. Yeah, she comes across as kind of the stereotypical American woman who's been cosseted and spoiled throughout her life, and 
she she only shows up because god darn it just letting you have at her sister seems like a stupid idea when she is there and she is far more impressive so you ought to take a look at her and be grateful that she'd even think to look at you you stupid little worm and be grateful that you are given the opportunity to carry her luggage around and fight for her and attend to her every woman desire that's pretty that's pretty much what her character uh, how does her even... stats play out i mean i know she, she's got these, <laughs> these she's got she's these a pretty good physical weapons. fighter yeah that's pretty darn different from her than her sister nera or bianca yeah and one thing i remember too is when the characters get married that they made it a point to state that the honeymoon night that she made the hero sleep on the floor while she took the bed. So, you know, it was just, wow, it was just really something. a lot of personality. Yeah. It was a very oh, interesting oh, Mac, dynamic. What, what was that text? The priest uttered at the marriage ceremony. Oh, oh, um, marriage Jewel, is... Yes. I, no, I remember that. It was like, you know, do you have this woman, you know, to have and to hold for as long as you shall be resurrected from the church or something along those lines. Instead of yeah. you both shall live, they made a play on the you always be dying. Yeah, you, you always literally die and get resurrected. So yep. you know, I love that one. Also, but yes, it's because it's also certainly the one thing that's fun about the marriage scene is that it's, it plays it completely differently depending on which bride you pick, which is something I wasn't expecting. But it's kind of a nice little touch when I learned about it. Yeah, I'll probably I kept a save file right before the decision and I'll go back to it sometime. Had I known how much more game there was at the time, I might have not done that, but going through the whole game again does not fill me with thoughts of dread, so I'll definitely do it at some point. And see what Bianca and Nera are like. Yeah, this whole thing's making me want to go back and play some more Dragon Quest. <laughs> I probably would if it weren't for the fact I just, you know, beat the game only a little while ago. I, I want to. on it forever, but. I, I want to, but, but Pokemon Conquest won't come out of my DS. <laughs> you, you'd, be, you'd be good pressed to play Dragon Quest V instead of that. No. <laughs> that game. Pokemon Conquest rules! Okay, so um, we're not here to talk about Pokemon Conquest until the end of the show, of course. So, um... <laughs> uh, oh, oh, <laughs> go yes. ahead, Mike. One other thing about the plot here: the party talk act action has been included this time, and it's so helpful, especially when yes. you're, you've got your bride. The party chat option allows you to get a whole enormous gamut of things don't exactly make her a deep character, but make her far more memorable. Mike, helps get you'd never know this from the, from the... You probably never know from the SNES version, but apparently Bianca loves gambling. Go figure. Hmm. <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. That's interesting. See, I wish I'd have chosen... She was the one I was debating between, because Nero just looked kind of sad and lonely, and you could tell she didn't actually want to be with you. <laughs> so... I was like, eh, okay, I'll take Debra. Yeah, she she's the prize being offered by her dad. No wonder she's not terribly enthusiastic, although being a, a quiet, demure woman, she'll go with what her dad says. Actually, it's kind of funny she like, falls in love with the main hero at first sight because of something about her dog getting out of control or something. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, it's really not, shallow like that, but she actually falls head over heels for the, <laughs> here when the first time they meet. That would be pretty cruel, although it would be very interesting if the game had a woman who didn't want to be your wife becoming your wife. <clears throat> Fortunately, it did not go in that direction. Nintendo probably would not have allowed it to pass censorship guidelines, even now. Guess <laughs> what happened? Some actually, Nintendo published games. I'm not sure if there are censorship guidelines, but I mean, this is, we were talking about something back in SNES stairs where they're making Fire Emblem. But. <laughs> yeah, other than that, I don't really remember a whole heck of a lot about the story. Once the whole third arc hits where you have kids and they have to come rescue you because you've turned to stone and all of that yeah. stuff. It just kind, kind of, of a, fell off a cliff for me after that point. Yeah, I don't really the remember plot much. Kind of, yeah, the plot just doesn't do much at that point, Sally. I mean, you're doing interesting things, but they're not so in, they're not so good around the story. They don't have that kind of personal impact. It's just after the kids grow up, it's just not quite as fun as it was the kind of great plot of the first two major chapters. Yeah, a lot of people complained about 4 once you got all the characters together. They kind of lost personality, and I thought once that third art story arc hit in 5, it did the same, but it took a lot longer to get to the end than 4 did, so it lost me a little along the way. I did finish it, but just the story was just kind of, eh. I just felt like I was trudging through it at that point. But yeah, still so shame, a great story great. at that point. Yeah, it's a shame the third act is kind of meh after how great the first two arcs are. Yep. Well, as but I recall, that, the, uh, the kids don't have much personality. They just talk about things that eight-year-old kids would talk about if they're meeting their dad for the first time, which is cute. But eight-year-old kids are not inherently the most interesting people you're ever going to meet. And I yeah. apologize if there are any eight-year-old kids who are so interesting that I have to meet them right now. I don't think there are, though. Yeah, just like, despite the fact that, that one's a legendary hero and the other's, you know, a princess who can talk to monsters, they can't come up with cross as just, you know, a generic brother and sister eight-year-olds, which is a little bit of a shame. Yeah, I don't think they, I'm not even sure their personalities change depending on who their mother is, which is also a shame. I think only just their hair color changes. Yep. Just the, how they look. I did They're notice that it took a whole two years between when you get unpetrified and when mom gets unpetrified. That's kind of a nice touch. They don't pretend the time isn't passing while you're adventuring. Yeah, which means that the parents have somehow stayed, what are they, about 19 or so? And they've right. already got kids who are up and doing things all the time. That's that's yeah. never really dealt with much, but it's interesting. Yeah, considering most JRPGs do have, like, you know, teenage protagonists and... <laughs> You know, have them having kids right away. I did like the nice touch, though, that once you were turned to stone, how you could see the passage of time, and you know, they thought you were just a statue, and that people was, up around you, and all kinds of most, stuff like that. That's one of the most heart wrenching scenes I've ever seen in a video game. Actually, mm -hmm. very, very touching. Yeah, this game honestly does an amazing job at showing how the Dragon Quest formula can be used to make a really fascinating story because having your hero be mute is beneficial, I think. If he talked all the time, then it would ruin the impact of what his family members are saying. Well, it could at least maybe lead to more interesting conversations, but yeah, it does work well enough here. 
Uh, certainly, it's the one game I wouldn't ever complain about it, unlike some. Like Dragon Quest VIII, for example, some points I just think I hate the hero because he's mute. But this one, he's a great hero, no matter what. They built the characters up around him so well. Dragon Quest VIII felt more like a whole group. You know, a, it, it was a tight-knit group. And it was kind of awkward having only one person not really be able to interject his personality and interact with these other interesting characters. Whereas like five, you know, you could really kind of play that role and assume that role more without needing that interaction. You could have that interaction from the family members. And it worked well. That's all I've got on the story. It was good, but... I, I guess that's, that's one thing, more thing about the story is that... Is this- this game is actually very much a direct sequel to Dragon Quest Four. They're both the same world of the Zenithian trilogy, of the, the yeah. heavenly world of Zenithia and the dark underworld of Nadiria. And it's kind of weird because I think the geography and nations of the world completely changed between the two with almost no crossover. But there still assumes the events of the previous game because they reference there are a couple of references to old characters and such, which mentioned the flat state. It's a sequel, which is kind of weird, but kind of interesting too. And this is the Zenithian trilogy as a whole is a rare example of that in the Dragon Quest series. Yeah, and yes. the one thing <clears throat> that directly stays the same between them is Zenithia itself, which you visit in all three. Except in this one, Zenithia has fallen into extreme disrepair, but it's still recognizably Zenithia. Yeah, because this was actually the last one chronologically out of the th- three games, out of four, five, and six, correct? Correct. Just trying to remember that right off the bat, but yeah, very interesting. I think we're winding down on the story. Uh, I mean, I, well, I guess one more thing about the Zenithian thing is that it's the same assembly. The main plot centers around assembling the Zenithian armor, which is just a, it's a major plot element of the later part of the plot of four. And in this one, it's done even better, though it kind of drops off at the very end for it because the last piece is just hand, just there, no real stuff about it, which is kind of a shame considering the. Do so well part with earlier elements of it, but oh well, it's meandering at this point. Yes, indeed. Hmm. As for the gameplay, well, I recall apparently the DS version makes you change things from the original in that you could only control three people at a time in the Super Famicom. Yes, yeah, I guess with us never having played that one. I couldn't really speak to the differences there. I just know that it was pretty much the exact same setup as 4, but with the addition of Party Chat and And the addition of Monster Collection, which I did spend quite a lot of time, quite a lot of time, trying to recruit a Metal Slime. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I ever did. Um, I think it is possible. No, I actually did. I do remember it took me forever and I think that's probably why I was so high level by the time I was done with it, because I did spend that very first dungeon you could get a metal slime. I spent tons of time hunting them down, and then I think I spent even more time trying to grind them. So, just because it was fun. <laughs> I just was got obsessed with it. you got to tell me, was it worth it? Is the metal slime awesome? No. <laughs> no. High evasion, just like they would, you know, in the actual game. But... Yeah, they could get killed pretty easily, so it was just more of a novelty and the fact that I love slime. So, you know, Rocket Slime was the first Dragon Quest game I ever truly played, so I kind of had an affinity for slime. So when I saw I could get the 
you know, the metal ones. That's pretty much all I tried to get in this game were slimes. <laughs> I think for my part, I, was, I always wanted a dragon, but even when they offered, waved the kind of the really awesome great dragons in the very end of the game at me, I couldn't ever get one, which is so annoying. So instead I had to rely on Chimeras and Mason, the ever awesome Golem, who just completely rocked the end game for me. Yes, I remember. I got a Golem, and that Golem was amazing. Aside from being really slow, which I could live with. Yeah, I just remember the slimes. That's, I think that I tried to make my party as many slimes as possible. And <laughs> no regrets. None at all. Did you ever get a Slime King? King Slime? No, I don't think so. Um, That's then again, I can't remember. Was there a... Hmm, I'm going to go with no. Unless it was really easy to get, in which case, yes. Based on my having killed several dozen King Slimes and getting nothing out of it, I'm going to say no, they were not easy. Yeah. Unless you get really lucky with the random number generator. Um, one thing I really think was, I can't tell entirely, but it feels like a lot of the names they used in this one, the same names they used for different monsters you can recruit in Dragon Quest Eight, which I always thought was a nice touch. It feels like the same continuity of monsters. Particularly since, you know, the... Dragon Quest Eight actually references the Nithian trilogy in that you can actually fight Ragnar and Tornico Taloon in its arena, monster arena. Hmm. And the one thing we didn't mention is that it does kind of go back on the whole not using weird dialects in this one compared to Dragon Quest Four. So it was a little more readable in this game. Yeah, other than the fact, well, as I think I mentioned earlier, there's some characters who seem like twisted ethnic stereotypes like Mr. Briscoletti, the father of the two of the wives you can marry like, he's obsessed <laughs> with talking about lasagna and has a really unreadable accent at times which is it's yeah. a little much especially for such a that, major character yeah that is something that Dragon Quest always tries to do too is it does try to add those different kind of dialects just not as far as Dragon Quest 4 normally so but still neat nonetheless Yeah, I'm going to see if I can load up my save and just find out exactly who I had in my party. That's what I'm talking about. But yeah, as far as the, the rest of the game goes, that's one thing about Dragon Quest. And for better or worse, in my case for better, um, you don't really have a whole lot of changing between the series. So don't expect to go in and find a whole lot of fundamental gameplay changes in this. It's going to be very similar to the old ones, be very similar to what you just played in 4, but that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, it's more yeah, about... the, the only real change is that monsters will sometimes join you after fighting. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the kind of thing, the Dragon Quest I like about it, it doesn't try to reinvent the formula each time, it just tries to make the formula a little bit better and make sure the formula really work each time, which is, can really work well. Agreed. And it looks like in my save... What I had was a Cure Slime, I had a Golem, I had a Heal Slime, a Slime Knight, and maybe I never did get a Metal Slime. If I didn't, I'm sad. But regardless, I did try to get mostly Slimes in my party. I love it. it. The final boss, whose name I don't remember right now because... It's Bishop Blackmouth you mostly spend the time loathing. But when when you finally do meet him at the end, 
he uses entirely caps for his text, which makes it look like he's screaming. <laughs> it's like this random Greek letters and stuff in there. Oh, like right. Stuff. Yeah. It's utterly it, unreadable to me. It also it, it's, some, it's some incredibly <laughs> ornate typeface. Yeah. And its name is going to be incredibly silly Grandmaster Nimzo. <laughs> Yeah. Is is it bad that I don't really remember the antagonist at all in Dragon Quest four or five? Yeah. So long as you remember that Bishop Lacknoff laughed at you as your father was being killed to protect you, that's all you need to remember. Barely Black, even remember yeah. Blacknoff. Barely okay. remember him at all, unfortunately. Ugh. Yeah. Well, the villains, yeah, they're not the great points. I mean, they do some horrible things to characters, which actually leads to some kind of sad stories and the overall good story overall, but the villains themselves are they're basically a bunch of chess-themed random monster guys who are utterly boring, which is kind of a big shame of the game. Yeah. But I think that's, that's all I've got on five. Any final thoughts before we move on? If it hasn't been made clear that we're pretty much recommending this wholeheartedly to anyone who has any inkling of interest in Dragon Quest, then I think that should be said. But would you? Yeah, so even if you don't have an inkling of interest in Dragon Quest, if as long as you like RPGs, then five is a good one. But would you? Well, I guess, would you recommend it for seventy dollars for a used copy? No. Once again, I picked this one up for a second copy for about fourteen dollars through an Amazon. Because deal, because brand new War Child ninety nine feels that his used <laughs> copy is worth sixty four fifty plus shipping and handling. Thankfully, he's not the only one selling a copy. You can actually uh, I see a number of them that look like they're in about the uh, hmm, looks like the thirty looks like the thirty five dollar range actually forty thirty five to forty after shipping and handling on half dot com. I see a couple of buy it nows on eBay. Well, there's one here for twenty. That would be a steal compared to these other prices. Uh, do, assuming that the, that you can't find the steal, do you guys think it's worth thirty five? You know dollars. Yeah, that's what I paid for. So I really liked it. I'll give I'll give you my quick rundown. I guess this is a good time to do this. This was really the first Dragon Quest game I kind of played and understood what I was getting. Um, I had played Dragon Quest Eight at the time. It was the first Dragon Quest that I play it didn't really have a good feel for the series didn't really love the game that much because i came into it expecting like final fantasy i didn't play the original dragon quest on nes i mean i had played dragon quest one for just a bit but i didn't play it for any amount of time so eight i didn't appreciate at the time so five was the first one that i actually picked up to play with a open mind and a better understanding of rpgs and I fell in love with the series with 5 on DS. Totally recommend it to anyone. And actually went backwards at that point and played 4. And I actually love 4 even more because I think it's a better introduction to the series than 5 even is. Even if it is lacking a lot and isn't the better game, I think 4 is still my personal favorite of the Dragon Quest games. But 5 is right up there, too. So either of those two, I would totally recommend for a good starter for anybody that's not played any of the games or just wants to jump in or is just curious. This is particularly, they're really good intros, particularly because they're much shorter than, say, 8 or 9, which 
can be really kind of long if you get into them. Or eights just can be right. long anyways. Nine, it can just get gigantic if you're not careful and doesn't have the same kind of real good story that four and five do. How about seven? Okay. You don't, don't get the characters with it either, so that's one thing that you know four and five have as a bonus. But yeah. that'll kind of lead us into what I think about the other games, So, which is six. Six? Were you talking about six? What about, did you have a last thought, Mr. Minky? Well, I'll say this about the price. Um, several years ago, I saw Silmobringer listed on eBay by someone who thought it was such an incredible game that it was going to, it was going to fetch $12,000. For some reason, that listing kept recurring over and over, even though the seller should have learned that $12,000 is really not a reasonable price. So yeah, that, expl- that explains why someone has decided to list Dragon Quest V at the $65 range, because, because he's an idiot. I can't be bothered to check. <laughs> I'll say this much. Keep an eye out on Amazon, because if they do sell it through Amazon themselves, you occasionally can pick it up at a really good deal. Not just the fulfilled by Amazon deals, but occasionally they've gotten them back in stock just randomly and had them on sale for you know sub-$20. I so. can't remember how I got my copy now. I think it was eBay. It could have been Amazon, though. But I yeah. did, certainly did not pay... $65 for it. Norton. And unless you are so overflowing with money that you feel the need to subsidize all the poor eBay sellers who can't be bothered to check what their, really, what their items are really worth, neither should you. But that doesn't mean the, the game is worthless because it most assuredly isn't. I spent 38, nine hours, whatever, with it, and I don't regret it for an instant. Cool, cool. Alrighty. Well, that's going to move us right along to Dragon Quest VI, Realms of Revelation. Uh, this was uh, developed by Heartbeat. <laughs> okay, and Art Piazza, two words I've never even used before. Arte Piazza. Yeah. They, they just handled kind of the porting of the DS version. And ah. Okay. Heartbeat uh, has a very interesting past, so... This one uh, was released on Super Famicom in Japan December 9th, 1995, and then ported over the nin- to your Nintendo DS handheld system on uh, February 14, 2011 here in North America. This is a single-player RPG, JRPG, turn-based RPG experience. Read a T for turn-based. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, Drag Quest Six: Realms of Revelation. Who wants to start off talking about the setting and characters? I think you've played it more recently than I have, Max. So, if you remember the story well, go for it. Yeah, I'd be glad to share a little bit about this. Um, for Dragon Quest Six, um, kind of an interesting thing too is the whole um, localization aspect of it. We didn't get the original. Um, and this was the first time in years that there was an opportunity for North America to get six. And it was announced at the same time as the other two as part of the whole trilogy that Square Enix was going to give us. And it was called Realms of Reverie at the time. And then it kind of went silent for a long time. It came out in Japan, 
kind of was still silent here. We didn't know anything. And then it turns out Square Enix had passed it off to Nintendo to localize. They didn't actually localize it themselves. They published it, and 8.4 out of Japan actually did the localization on this one. But they took a very strong kind of Dragon Quest feel to this one, and you know we were lucky to get it. Uh, the way it sets up is there is a main world and a dream world. So, hence the realms of reverie would actually make a little more sense talking about dreams, but revelation works too, I guess. Um, but yeah, the way it was set up is you would have characters, you know, of course, your classic Dragon Quest hero, and there were other characters that he would meet throughout the game, uh, like Carver, his fighter buddy, and I guess Millie, uh, kind of the support healing magic, and Ashlyn, the mage, and you know, there was plenty more, you know, classic Terry that was a, a big staple in Japan. He was one of the favorite characters out there and even got his own little Dragon Quest spinoff in Japan. Um, and, you know, there were plenty of other characters that you would get as well. Um, but you would meet them throughout the world and you would end up at certain points swapping between worlds. And you would be able to swap between the dream world and the real world, but... Um, am I correct in saying you didn't really realize exactly what you were doing at the time? There was one point that you, would, you either fell into a well, is it? Yeah, you fall inside of a well, which I recall being in a, a broken down shed or a wood house somewhere, and you just yeah. pop out in a different version of the world, which looks a little bit different, and yeah. it seems to have most of the same people, but they act a little bit different. Yeah, I don't remember all the specifics, but there's, you know very similar setup to the world itself. The geography is very similar, but at the same time, there's dramatic changes to each to where, you know, in one of the worlds, maybe you could progress to a certain section, but in another world, you couldn't. There'd be a barrier, so you'd have to find a way from the real world to the dream world to be able to transition between those areas and kind of progress through the game. And it took... reminded me a little bit of A Link to the Past. Yeah. At least I mean, in that aspect. Have, yeah, you had the dual world aspect, which was a kind of a staple link to the past, was one of the first games to, to really do. Um, but without getting into the gameplay too much, you know, that was one thing that you were able to get about halfway through the story, is it made a big point about going to the Alltrades Abbey, which was where you could go, and there were some key story points that took place from there, but you were able to change yeah. class change jobs and stuff like that, and we can touch on that during the, the gameplay aspects. But, you know, you were able to go through there and interact. Um, and, and I guess that was one of the big things, too, is right before you even get to that, you kind of go through what seems like a final dungeon. Um, oh, yes, yes, I remember this. It's It's surrounded by a poison swamp and you're beating the big bad guy, but it's way yep. too early in the game for it to be the real big bad guy. Right. You haven't even got to the job classes or anything along those yet, but still you're going through all these things. So you get to this fake out final boss and the whole, everything that's kind of going on during this point is just to kind of build upon the whole dream world versus real world. And finding out that, you know, the original world is in fact the dream world. And the phantom world is actually the real world. 
So you've kind of been living in this dream world the entire time. And it's just kind of a, an interesting dynamic that you go through in that just to find out, oh, God, you know, been kind of living in a dream this entire time. And you go and, you know, you have to. I remember I you. I don't remember a whole lot of the to, second half of the story or how that goes from there. I don't remember a lot of the specifics, but. What I remember there's at least one king you talked to who real who you apparently told him that it's a dream world and he agreed to try and help you. Mm-hmm. even though there wasn't much you could do. Yep. And, and um, okay. But, yeah, oh, you had, one one kind of scenario the, I remember. When, yes. when your main character finds his dream self or his real self, whichever it is, and that dream self talks and is pretty much a coward and wants to run away from everything, that's the only occasion I can remember in any Dragon Quest where even though it's a dream version, you talk. And it's very brief, but yeah, it stood out so much. Kind of dialogue that he has, and it was it's fairly deep into the game that you do that. And yeah, and it the one thing this game dealt with was with the characters themselves. It helped them deal with different personality aspects. Um, you would have the hero, like you said, who in one world was kind of a coward and gets you know freaked out pretty easily. And, you know, you've been playing as another hero who's not, you know, he's built he, up. He's this, a Dragon Quest hero. Yeah, he's built up this party and this following, and he's, you know, saving the day. But it's interesting to, to see how different characters deal with different aspects of themselves throughout the game. And there's other, you know, you find revelations with other different characters like Terry and Millie. You find out they're related, and, you know, Terry's he's the one who wants to fight the party. You know, he doesn't want to actually join you all throughout the game. He's kind of this rough guy who's doing his own thing. And he only joins near the end. Yeah. I mean, really near the end. (laughs) Yeah. And I remember going to, I guess the, the cloud world is that, am I remembering that correctly? You end up going up into the clouds and fighting, fighting up in the clouds and there's different, um, and that's you get, where you'll find Zenithia again. Or mm-hmm. actually for the first time, because this is set before the other two. Yes, the original setup for this. And if I'm remembering correctly, you kind of get stuck up there and you have to go and solve puzzles to be able to get free back to the main world and to be able to access, you know, your old skills and old abilities and everything again. It was some interesting dynamics, but the one thing I remember about the story itself of this game is it it was a little sp- Farce. That whole, I will agree with you. Yeah, the whole buildup of characters. There was some interesting potential in these characters, but as far as how they actually developed, was nowhere near as it didn't have near the impact of four and five. Um, it could have had the same as four, but it was stretched out much further, so you kind of lost it in the extra bloat that six had. And it didn't have the same personal touch that Five had with the family being involved. So I think that was kind of what suffered in Six was just the fact that it that game grew and grew and grew and just became so huge. And, you know, Heartbeat was the the team that developed it. You know, they're all overseen by Yuji Hori. He's the designer of mm-hmm. Dragon Quest. But I don't know if... It, was you know something by heartbeat because they're tied to Dragon Quest six VI and seven, 
and you know they did now I'm, am i remembering yeah they're tied to six and seven and they did a couple of the remakes so i don't know if it's something that they were part of the design process of making those stretch out more and making those a little more of a bloated game or if you know it was just you know yuji hori at the time saying yeah i kind of want to stretch these dragon quests and make them a little longer but regardless well, i think took- it it was hurt a little this one certainly took a lot longer to develop than all the prior ones had. Maybe that had something to do with it. Could be. But, you know, it just seems stretched out a little bit too far for its own good and is by far not one of my favorite stories because of that. It just it had potential. It just didn't. There wasn't enough content within the game for the length to be worth it. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I recall the final boss being fairly challenging even after all the grinding I had done, which, for whatever that's worth, I, I had a couple of fatalities in Dragon Quest games. been in battle. Yeah, and, um, uh, yeah, I think the whole spread between like the dread realm and you know finding out what was going on there versus going to Zenithia and really seeing how that was built up it was a nice tie back into the entire trilogy so that was one thing that was nice about it but other than that yeah, I somehow there are two points to this one is that I regret having played this one first of the DS trilogy just because I didn't get the references. And yet, on the other hand, playing it, playing the games in the order they're set gave me a whole different insight to occasional bits of Dragon Quest lore, although they're not exactly drowning in references to the past. Yeah, very true. I think I played them in the exact opposite chronological order, so having played five first, which was the last chronologically, and then four, and then six... It just—it was even crazier for me to really even care about the ties between those. But I remember kind of—it it just felt really disjointed. And you know, this may transition into gameplay here in just a second. I'll let y'all kind of decide <laughs> when to go into those. But I did between you know the dream world and the real world, and then go into the dread realm, and it just felt so segmented at times too. And it was. Yeah, I remember the Dread Realm seeming much bigger than it needed to. Yeah, more spread out and not a lot going on. Yeah, so. you had uh, you had far more dungeons than I honestly would have expected. Once you're finally in the Dread Realm, we're gonna have the showdown. Except, no, we're gonna take about six hours before that happens. Yep. Very true. Although, I do remember enjoying the the sequence where I'm liberating people in a castle but it's just a vague memory and i i can't come up with any specifics at the moment yeah i'm I'm with you on that i don't have the same ties to the the story on this one it was one i was just glad was over i'd been looking forward to it but yeah by the end yeah i'm glad we got it oh yeah there's hardly ever been a game that i'm like man we should never have gotten this one (laughs) And the party chat option is back, which is nice, but it wasn't enough to make things consistently interesting for me. 
Yeah, and there's a couple of characters that really kind of stood out for me. Um, Ashlyn and Terry were both kind of the standouts for me. I know... Uh, yeah, I don't really think that Carver was... I mean, he was kind of around quite a bit, but he was far from a standout. Um, I kind of liked Lizzie. You know, oh, the dinosaur, yes. That you could get with you, the hacksaurs. Yeah, Hacksaurus, it was yes. kind of neat to have Lizzie with you, but... Uh, she didn't I have guess, much to say. No, and I can't remember if this was a DS thing or if it was in the original or not, but I know the one I played, you could also recruit slimes too. So that was a neat thing because I always love that. <laughs> not but, sure. Yeah. I actually did own Dragon Quest V and Six on the Super Famicom once upon a time, but I never quite got around to playing them with all the other Super Famicom games I was playing. And then, lo and behold, I heard, hey, these games are coming over on the DS. Why would I bother keeping them and play the, to play them in Japanese when they're going to come out in English anyway. So my chance to play the original language was lost, and yet I don't really regret it. No, I don't. Well, yeah. But yeah, regardless, I'm glad that we we were able to receive this game. And if you don't have anything else on the story, the gameplay is another thing I wanted to touch on very heavily. Yeah, I, well, I remember. Uh, I'll let you start, and then I'll chime in. How's that? Okay. I was very intrigued by the idea of the class system. I knew it had started with Dragon Quest Three, the way they had developed their class system, but I had yet to play Three. Um, I know that's a Japanese fan favorite, Three seems to be. But Six, knowing that it had a very similar and maybe more advanced class system, was very interested to try it out had never been more disappointed after having played it than I thought I would be. Uh, the class system was... Well, I can come up with one thing right off the bat, which is you had to go back to All Trades Abbey every time you wanted to change a class. And not only to change a class, but to learn yeah. how, how far you were from getting the next level in your class. Exactly, just to check your progress in said class. Which and just, All Trades Abbey is only in one of the worlds, so if you're in the other one, oops, you got to go back to the other world anyway. Yeah, and it's nice that in Dragon Quest you tend to have the zoom feature where you can zoom back to different towns, but still you had to find a certain way to you had to transport back to a different world and then zoom, and then it yeah it was just more work than it was worth, and the classes were. It seemed like a lot of the extra classes you got, since you got the job class changing so far into the game, I mean, it was a good probably 15 hours, I want to say. I played this one about 46 hours. I want to say 15 hours maybe into it is how long it took you to get to the class system to be able to change. And it was just frustrating because once you picked it, if you didn't pick a good setup to start with, by the time you were able to change to the secondary hybrid classes, which were supposed to be, you know, the more dynamic part of the job system, everything was shot. You know, for like the hybrid classes, you had to build up a warrior and a martial artist. And, you know, if you decided, oh, yeah, I want to try a warrior. Oh, no, I kind of want to try mage. It didn't really give you a whole lot of room for exploration and for doing different trials in the job system. 
So unless you wanted to spend a whole heck of a lot of extra time really, really grinding and playing job systems, and I say grinding because if you wanted to gain skills in them, you you know, there yeah. you couldn't just progress through the game naturally. You would be done with the game way before you'd ever be done with, you know, maxing out a hybrid class, let alone you know, multiple classes. So I didn't feel like you really got a good chance to try out different classes easily. Even with multiple party members and everything, it just seems so restrictive. And I'd been spoiled yeah. by other games like the Final Fantasy V and, you know, tactics and different classes or different job, different games where job classes worked better and you could mix and match and do stuff like that. That, you know, being restricted to one and losing everything from that class when you went to another one this was frustrating. Well, let's see. What do I recall? I recall, A, you needed to fight not just any enemies, but the right enemies in order to advance your classes. And yep. that could be a definite problem because the game doesn't tell you when you're fighting the right enemies. You just kind of have to guess and then go back to Ultra yep. Exab and see whether you've advanced. Yeah, because well, weak found- enemies wouldn't change you. Yeah, You had to fight high enough level enemies. And your job class and your actual or your job level and your actual level differed so yeah and i remember getting around that by the simplest means possible i found that everything you fought while on the submarine seemed to continually build up job levels so i would have my ds out and i would be half-heartedly watching youtube or something else at the time and just cruising around killing things for a long long time and then Whenever somebody maxed out a class, I would go back to Altrid's Abbey, and that probably explains why I spent quite a bit of time with this game. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it in the sense that I liked playing around with the classes, but it takes a long time, and yep. if you decide if you decide to go back and try something else, then um, you better be damn sure that that's what you wanted to do. Otherwise, you just wasted a couple hours, most likely. <laughs> And I, that's why I don't really want to just outright bash the job system for being what it is and for being, you know, kind of – it's not restrictive in the fact that it doesn't offer variety because it gives you a lot of variety. I mean there's lots of different starter classes to choose from, and the hybrid classes that come from that are really impressive as well. But the whole fact that it's just so poorly balanced in a game as long as it is already, you know, being 40 plus hours to get through, which, you know, may not sound like a lot to some, but it is to me, the fact that you didn't have enough time to really play around with these jobs was frustrating. It took way too long to get into it. Well, a game, a game or anything is only as long as it feels, and Dragon Quest VI definitely did not feel like there was absolutely nothing that needed to be cut. Yep. So, I know, um, you know, it was nice to have, you had characters, and you also had monster companions that you could have as well. So, you know, you'd have Slimes and Lizzie. So it was it was nice to have a little bit of variety in that. So, you know, it wasn't that you had no variety. Um, and I guess that's that's what I really want to get across, is not that I thought it was horrible as much as I thought it was just a lot of wasted potential. Because it had the potential to be something fantastic, and it just kind of fell apart for me. My least favorite of the ones because of that. Yeah, I had a, a better time with it than you did, but I can 
I can hardly say that your arguments are without validity because they definitely are. It was too long. The class system was really constraining unless, unless you tune into game facts and know exactly what you want and how to go about it. And even yeah, then yeah. you're going to spend long hours killing hundreds of enemies to get the classes ready to go. Yeah, I guess that was the part of it that I didn't like was I felt like in order to use the job system effectively, I needed to go to an outside resource to do so. I couldn't just be rewarded for my own experimentation. And that was that was the disappointing part for me. It was not being able to just kind of play around on my own without feeling like I'd wasted time. But, you know, it, it was good. It still had a lot of good party chat and all kinds of stuff. And, the you know, the skills, you didn't necessarily, I think I said earlier, you lose the skills and you don't lose those as much as, you know, they're kept on that vocation chain. So you did change your vocation. You didn't lose access to those skills. Yeah, it's not like but, you had to start over entirely with a job if you switched from it. Right. Um, the just, you just couldn't experiment a lot. And, you know, that combined with the characters not really developing a whole lot and a lot of the skills that you would get throughout the game seeming kind of useless. Um, <laughs> It it was just total frustration. Yeah, wanted, there's that. Yeah, I wanted to like it, really did. But yeah, just just too much grinding required to enjoy what I wanted to, and yeah. But that's 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 what I've got. I don't know if I've got anything else to really add. Like I said earlier, Dragon Quest doesn't change dramatically as far as fundamentals go. So the the concept itself of that, I can maybe let you add on a little more if you had anything to add. Well, there is one thing about all, all the DS Dragon Quest remakes, and that is having two screens to display the dungeons often makes them a lot easier to get through than they originally were. I can see that. Totally understand that and appreciate the second screen for that reason. So, yeah. Yeah, I like it when I can see, oh, there's a dead end. I'm not going to take that path. Yep. But that's the only thing that occurs to me right now. Yeah, if I was to, maybe too early for a recommendation or anything, but if somebody was wanting to get into the Dragon Quest series, you know, the DS versions are the the most easily accessible, I would say, but financially it's looking... You know, to differ quite a bit, but if you've got them sitting in your backlog by chance, put six at the back. You know, not saying that you won't enjoy it. Um, it's horrible, but definitely try the other two first because I think four and five are a lot better introductions than six is. Uh, just because the story just it really isn't cohesive enough to be worth it, even if. You know, the party chat's great. The localization is excellent. I thought it, you know, did away with a lot of the the dialogue and the the problems that, like, 4 was plagued with that people didn't like about it. You know, the lots of NPC interaction. There's, like, new dialogue, you know, for party members after everything you do. Yeah. And, you know, I I mean, i got to give a lot of credit to 8-4 for this because... 
seems like they put a lot of work into it, and there's a lot of stuff to do, and that's why it seems like Dragon Quest games always seem to take at least a year after they're released in Japan to even <laughs> consider coming out here, so it's a plus, but it's a shame it was wasted on this game. Yeah. Just needed to be tighter. Well, if we ever get a remake of 7 and you get to complete it, I understand that that complaint will be magnified many-fold. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally expecting that, but at the same time, would love still love to try it. Yeah. And that's that's why I don't complain. You know, I think a lot of people, when I, re- I did their staff review for Dragon Quest Six, and I gave it a now, You did the time. second opinion. Ah, second opinion. You did the first one, but I, I reviewed I did. it to you. But I, I think I reviewed it quite a bit lower. You gave it like you a three point five, and I gave it a two, I believe, if I'm remembering correctly. You and did. I might not have given it a three point five if I had played four and five first. But yeah, as more or less my introduction to completing a Dragon Quest game, it worked spectacularly for me, and yeah. I did not recommend it as the starting place. Yeah, I think that's what I have to really preface it with is that comparatively with what it is and what you had to compare it against with, you know, 4 and 5, it was a lot worse. You know, 4 and 5 were really impressive games and 6 just wasn't by comparison, but not to say it's, you know, I can't necessarily say it's horrible by any means. Totally worth giving a shot if you're a Dragon Quest fan. Always want more. Always want more. I just hope Nintendo isn't sitting on them all now, since it seems like they've kind of become the unofficial Dragon Quest hand here in America over Square Enix, you know, USA. If the pattern holds, then why not have 3DS remakes of 7 and 8? Uh, I see no reason that the system couldn't handle it if it could handle Tales of the Abyss, so yeah, go Square Enix, go. 3D8 would be pretty darn cool. Yeah, I won't, I won't get into which system I'd like it on, but I'll just, I don't care. <laughs> a remake would be nice of both of them, just on a portable, so that I can give a shot. And chances are it would have to be a 3DS, just because Nintendo seems to have the unofficial hand on Dragon Quest now. But yeah, that's what I wanted to share on 6. And I don't have any more memories that immediately spring to mind, which I just have to let everybody know about. I think just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on these three, um, they were the first three that I really kind of played and enjoyed. Um, Like them or not, I always enjoyed playing a Dragon Quest game. It's something that I couldn't ever really put down and didn't ever really dread playing even the bad ones i didn't dread playing but also i've not played two on seven which could be a lot more of a challenge to slug through Um, but it just opened up the whole new desire for me to want to go back and play more i actually went back and replayed the game boy advanced version of one and you know i mean the game boy color i think game boy color sorry yeah not game boy advance but the game boy color version of you know dragon quest one and Started up three, haven't really got much progress in there, and haven't really tried two yet. But you know, I do want to go through those. But it did give me that desire to go back and do those, and it actually opened me up to you know. And have you played nine? Yes, yes, I did play nine as well, um, and did enjoy 
uh, nine for its gameplay and its class system, which I thought was handled better uh, just in design than six was. And I love the fact that it's one of the only games that I can really say that I enjoyed having on-screen random or on-screen encounters. Most games that do it, I don't like it on, but I really did appreciate it in Dragon Quest Nine. So, um, but I'm sure that's a, a podcast for another time. Yeah, because uh, Nine really doesn't fit into these three in any way, shape, or form except the system. Yeah, right. It's, it's a totally different beast. But if anybody, and I'll have to use this to give a plug, if anybody does enjoy Dragon Quest Four, Five, and Six, and likes different characters and likes the gameplay style. I'm always hesitant to recommend iOS stuff because I'm not an iOS gamer by any means. I don't like touchscreen. Um, I've played like very few iOS games that I could actually stand to play. Um, so thankfully, this game that I'm about to recommend is also available on PC and Mac and eventually is going to be available on Vita. So Dragon Fantasy, uh, Muteki Corporation put this one out. It is Dragon Quest. It doesn't, you know, it's just kind of a play on the name. It's not everything that is Dragon Quest because, you know, all the characters speak, your hero speaks, all characters have dialogue, but the gameplay is totally Dragon Quest. You have banks where you can store your money. If you die, you go back to, you know, the inn or the church. Um, And the battle system is pure Dragon Quest style. Um, The layout of the games are Dragon Quest style. And it reminds me of Dragon Quest IV, and the fact that it's chapter-based and you get different characters and eventually some of them start to come together a little more, at least kind of interact and kind of intertwine. So if you're looking for something new to play and you've not played it and you do like Dragon Quest, I highly recommend Dragon Fantasy because it's the closest thing I've played to a Dragon Quest you know, love letter that you know didn't feel cheap and like it was getting it wrong. Because um, I've played lots that try to rip it off, but don't really get what made Dragon Quest fun. This is one of the ones that does. So that's my little side note plug for the evening. Hmm. Well, let's see how much that bad boy's going for on our good friends at eBay. Maybe it's going for five thousand dollars as well. Who knows? Oh, Dragon Quest Six. Who knows? Only if someone, only if there's another person who can't be bothered to check what actual prices are. It's actually the uh, lowest of uh, this trilogy. It's going for about a solid twenty dollars after shipping and handling. Yeah, I think you can get it from Amazon still for under twenty, brand new. Let's take a look at our good friends at Amazon. See if any of our trilogy there is still in, uh, still in uh, supply there. Okay, Dragon Quest uh, Nine. There we go. Uh, Dragon Quest Five. <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we didn't even talk about that one. Uh, Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, is uh, looking at $40 there. Uh, 6 is uh, 20 16 plus shipping and handle. Well, you can get free shipping. Yes. Keep it at 16 yeah. That's good to know. I still need to get that one. And that's got a Prime check mark on it, so if you got Amazon Prime, that'll get to you in two days. I'm a big fan of Amazon Prime. It's actually four. sold by Budget Video Games and fulfilled by Amazon, so go figure that uh, out. That's, that's why the shipping charge. If it's yeah. from a second party, then Amazon free shipping doesn't usually apply. Yeah, but it does get the Prime check mark, so I get it for free in two days or less. Haha, because it's fulfilled by Amazon. Uh, Dragon Quest, uh, what do we say, 4? Uh, let's see, that one's, uh, that one's a cheap $67. And uh, that one is eligible for free shipping, so at least you're saving at three bucks if you're a Prime member. 
Uh, I don't know if you're not a Prime member if you still can get the free shipper saving. You ought to for $67 yes. freaking dollars. For Over $25 gets you free shipping. For $67, the president of Square Enix should deliver that to your oh, – I'm sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> I get a little out of control sometimes when I see uh, people getting uh, raked. Uh, but, yeah, you might want to stick with the eBay option on that one. Just get a used copy. I mean I've gotten – in fact, I think I replaced my my lost uh, stolen uh, Dragon Quest Four with a used copy. works just fine. You know, so – uh, you know, half.com uh, shares eBay's rating system, no matter which, which one of those channels you're getting from, you can see how many, you know, what the percentage of positive reviews are. So you can buy with confidence. And speaking of confidence, I am very confident that we all need to take a break. We're going to listen to some really classy Dragon Quest tunes and uh, we'll be right back. This up with the final app. We'll start off by reading some comments about our last show on the uh, forums. Uh, reading some comments from the forums about our last show. Yeah, and it was about Wild Arms. We talked about Wild Arms, all of them. And because uh, Rico has written, said, my favorite in the series was Wild Arms 4. Having four characters in the hex grid made the battles more interesting. I never did any lockdown things, though. I just used my numbers to push the enemies into one hex. Uh, Wild Arms 5 was still okay, but the hex battle system wasn't as fun because three characters means I rarely need to pile more than one character onto the same hex. Uh, he's not finished Wild Arms 3, neither have I, uh, though I remember it being interested, so, so do I. I've tried a number of times to play Wild Arms one but never got more than halfway through ditto here actually i've only gotten halfway through five as well and the dvds have been really scratched up by now i finished wild arms too but only barely remember it it was a rental they had for five days and plowed through it as fast as possible <laughs> wow plowing through the oh, wow good god bless you uh let's see this weird guy named omega bite whose title yeah. is the guy you hate says Wild Arms 4 it really is what it says uh, Wild Arms 4 is the only one I've completed it's the only one that really felt like a modern game to me uh, number 5 stripped away too much of what he liked about 4 the hex system wasn't as well implemented he found the characters obnoxious rather than endearing the platforming was pretty much entirely gone and the puzzles didn't feel nearly as interesting or as well thought out he also really liked the early 20th century style the game had as opposed to the mid 19th century style of number 5 in the previous games I don't think we should take what Ria Reisender has to say too seriously because he seems to be responding directly to what Adrian said and probably didn't listen to it. <laughs> yeah, be- yeah go back Ria, and... He also went go and simply and... said, yep, Wild Arms 4 is really different and that's why it's good. Go back yeah, and that, listen, Ria. That, that is his entire argument. Man. It's different and that makes it good. All right, so uh, let's see here. What, next time? Does anybody know what that's from? 
<laughs> uh, right in at the Dragon Quest on the brain. No, it's not Dragon Quest. It's dun 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 dun. It's the famous introduction. It goes through your head over and over again if you play this game uh, from the old Nintendo days, and it has been recently re-released on the PlayStation 3, a remake. I'll talk about it in just a minute on our personal pimpage section, uh, but we will start off with Mr. Uh, Mr. Nathan Schlothen. Is there anything you've been playing that you want to pimp, the things you've been doing on RP Gamer you want to talk about? Uh, there's nothing that... If you want to talk about anything I do on RP Gamer, just go to the main front page and see the latest news. That's mostly what I do. Um... I think at this point I'm just going to pimp how to pronounce my name, considering no one seems to know how to do it. Schloman? It's Slothin. Schlathen? No, just sound. It's Slothin. You know... Slothin. You realize you're like the Catholic... You're name. like the Catholic person walking into the Christian church saying, let me tell you about Christianity. That's what when you come on to RPG Backtrack and said, let's talk about how to pronounce names. It's like heresy here. <laughs> you realize that, right? Oh, that's the best no. analogy I could come I up with now. this late at night. <laughs> just baptized Catholic. Yeah, I just is what happens when you come on RP backtrack and you start preaching your message of proper enunciation of names. It's just it's heresy here, my friend. It's probably <laughs> gospel where you come from, but here, man, whew. man, we don't just we're gonna have to kick you out in just a minute here. Ask you to leave the premises. All that all that blasphemy you're bringing on the stage. Wow. Whew. Goodness gracious. Uh, all right. Well, anything else, uh, though, uh, you know, interesting, like games or playing um, anything fun? I've been playing, a, I've been playing a lot of Edge Odyssey 3 lately. This Ooh, game is hard. How's that working? It's also a lot of fun. Oh, are you enjoying that? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's a good dungeon crawler. Very much so. Even though it's kind of in the ocean at the same time, isn't it a lot of water there? Yeah, it's like this dungeon forest, which are at the bottom of the ocean. You're just walking around, and you see coral, and fish swim by. Aww. And you're just walking around and fighting monsters. Are, are you, half the bosses are fish. Are, are, you, half the, <laughs> are you using uh, an FAQ to figure out like you know what the skills do and how the classes work, or you know, how no, playing your party, well, or you just winging it? They're explained well enough in-game, and I just used that. Uh, I haven't been using a guide at all, because where's the fun in using a guide to get through all these games? It's been a lot of fun just figuring yeah, it out. Just, just for the, I think with the, well, and I, I, I'm coming from Metroid and Odyssey 1, so I haven't, I never actually uh, played uh, 3, but I, I got a little perturbed when, you know, I got like, I don't know, so far in the game, and I kept having lots of problems with the bosses, and and I was like, geez, you know, I've grinded and grinded. I'm like, am I doing something wrong here? And then I go and read on the boards. And it's like, oh, well, well, these skills over here, these are the better skills to pick. And this is how you need to build a class. And this is how you unlock. And so, you know, I, I don't want somebody to tell me how to get through dungeons. But I was like, oh, that's kind of interesting to know. You know, in, in Etrian Odyssey 1, they kind of told you, like, if you pick this skill, your fire magic goes up. But it has a little up arrow. But it doesn't tell you exactly what that means. So... Having an FAQ, I was able to see, oh, it's going to go up 3% until I get the fifth point in, at which point it jumps up 12% or something. Uh, you know, so I don't know if the, if Etrianasi 3 was a little bit better about that. Well, Etrianasi probably has a same level description, but that was enough for me. I've been able to figure things out well enough, and I built a team which has carried me pretty far already. I'm up to the fifth stratum without too many problems. Oh, fifth stratum. Oh, let me know when you get down like 15 or so. That's when they start murdering you at number one. All I'm saying, I got through five, and that was about it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think I got like seven or eight. 
I one, think floors or stratums. Nine. Stratums are groups of four floors. Oh, okay. So you've been pretty far. I heard that yeah, three. Sixteenth floor. I, I heard that. floor. I heard that three was a little better balanced. So. Um, yeah, it seems pretty well balanced overall. The classes are a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, I've heard that too. So, um, and and I think um, Glenn, Glenn's the Etrian Odyssey expert. He can. He talked a lot about it. I think back in the day. How about you, Mister Minky? Well, let's see. Game-wise, pretty much the only thing I've been playing lately is Tales of the Abyss, which I finally completed today on 3DS. And Congratulations. Yeah, I I thought it was going to wrap up at around the 40-hour mark, and then it just kept going. And it did a remarkably good job of fooling me into thinking, this is the final boss. We're resolving everything here. And instead, it didn't. In fact, it even resorted to having enemies who I was pretty sure were dead come back to life by just employing, oh, well, they didn't actually die. They they ran away. So that last 15 hours or so, um, it was still enjoyable, but I couldn't help but feel the game could have used a lot of tightening up. Otherwise, I enjoyed it. I can definitely see how much it evolved from since the Tales of Fantasia days. And let's see, in terms of movies, I'll, I'll keep it fairly brief. I watched Hope Springs, which is out in theaters now, and most people listening to this podcast probably will not ever want to see because it involves Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones trying to get intimacy back into their marriage. Uh, <laughs> come on, Mike. Mike, there are grown men listening, okay? I know. Come on. <laughs> I know. I introduced this to separate the wheat from the chaff. I was about to say, a lot of people just hit stop and delete on the podcast file right there, man. I finally saw The Born Legacy, which, in its efforts to tie itself in with the other Born movies, kind of doesn't really earn it by having characters from those movies appear very briefly. It just says, look at me, I'm part of the Bourne franchise, instead of really seeming part of it in any other way. But it, hey, I have to know, is this a, a Bourne movie with shaky cam or without shaky cam? Because this is kind of a key element. It is without shaky cam for the most part, but a lot of the shots are really quick cut, so you're going to have to pay close attention sometimes. <clears throat> oh man, that's just as bad. Shaky cam. Still, there there is one element that I really liked, which is that um, Jeremy Renner is running out of pills, and if he runs out of pills, it, well, the result is not that he's going to die or that he's going to have some horrible sickness. It's that this particular pill raised his IQ a massive amount, so he'd be, he would become a moron if he lost the pill. It, it, you're even told that he only made it into the army because a recruiter looking to fill a quota ignored the fact that he was 12 IQ points below the minimum necessary to get into the army. So that that tells you how much the pills enhance his mind. Drugs are bad. Mostly. Yeah. Let's see. One, one classic movie, Young Man with a Horn. Where Kirk Douglas sort of plays the Bix Biederbeck story, only instead of dying at 28 like Bix Biederbeck did, he lives. But... If you like swing music, which I mostly do, then you're probably going to like this because there's an awful lot of swing music in it. And just 
more imp improvisational jazz. So there we go. Mm. Cool, cool beans. Uh, play anything fun? Well, having just finished Tales of the Abyss less than an hour before we started this thing, I'm thinking Front Mission 2 will be my next stop, but that will involve keeping the PlayStation on for long hours because it's such a pain in the butt to get the stupid thing to play an import. At least it was. Maybe in the years since I've tried to do it, it's gotten easier. It's gotten bad. It's like fixed itself. Well, you have to jam a little piece of tissue down into the latch that, that closes when you swing the lid down so that it won't think that the lid is completely closed and you have to tape back the the lever that pushes out to spin alongside the disc. And if you haven't done either of those precisely right, then you have only a limited amount of time after putting in the, the disc that enables it to play an import before it just reverts and decides that you don't have anything in there at all. And I mean a limited amount of time, so you got to do a quick disc swap. And I just don't enjoy doing that anymore. Hmm. But it, I do it anyway because getting a Japanese PlayStation is considerably more expensive, and my time is very cheap, apparently. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, let's see here. Uh, so I, I got called out of town and I grabbed my DS because I was going to be spending a lot of time on the plane and the such and uh, so I played a lot of Pokemon Conquest. It's not really a backtrack style game because it's a little newer but it's pretty cool. It's If you never played uh, one of those uh, romancing uh, Sega games or whatever they're called uh, Neck of Exhibition, yeah it's pretty fun. I think maybe you told me about Nathan to go get it or somebody told me to go get it so I grabbed it. I didn't it. play it so not me Oh, it was on the RPG Backtrack. Somebody was bragging about it. Oh, what's it? I mean, it was apps. I think it was apps. He was bragging about it. And if, if, if people remember... I think it was. Yeah, and if people remembered, I was trying to find a copy, couldn't, and I told my whole story on Backtrack about finally getting a copy. Well, I finally got time to actually play it, being stuck on a plane with nothing but my DS and uh, my iPad for a while. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool little game, and it's just like people say, kind of, if you're a strategy enthusiast like I am, it kind of starts off slow. you got to get through these uh, this this quote-unquote main campaign, uh, which takes, you know, it took me about, I think, eight hours or so. Uh, but once you get past that, uh, it opens up all these other scenarios, and for some odd reason, in those scenarios, you get a lot more flexibility than you do in the main campaign. And so it opens up the game, makes it feel deeper. It makes it feel more like a, a romancing, uh, you know, say, no, not romancing. Why do I keep calling it romancing? Say, uh, romancing, uh, what, was it, what was those games called, Nathan? Romance the Three Kingdoms. Thank you. Makes it feel more like a romance of the Three Kingdoms as you have these random events that come up, and the people will come and ask you for favors and things like that, and, and weird things will happen to your kingdom. And, and for some reason, these elements, uh, oh, and you can upgrade your kingdoms. For some reason, those elements are missing out of the original you know, campaign. So that original campaign feels more like a very long tutorial as a result. Um, uh, so I guess it's Pokemon. I, they're trying to keep it simple. Uh, but uh, once you get past that, you get into some some tougher scenarios where you got to use the game systems and use the available tools there and exploit those to, to get the upper hand against the other armies of people with their Pokemon. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool so far. It's, it's definitely, it was definitely, a, a, you know, even if I stopped playing it down, it was definitely worth the uh, uh, the time and effort to hunt that uh, hunt that down. Uh, playing Ogres Must Die 2. 
with my old man and uh, a couple of my other friends, and I'm up to over 70,000 orcs killed. It actually keeps track. It's scary. You gotta play it. Combinations I've talked about before, but combination tower defense and third person shooter. Absolutely awesome. Still playing that. Uh, Torchlight 2 is coming out soon. We got that pre ordered. Any of you guys playing Torchlight 2? Nathan? Not really my kind of game. Oh, okay. Playing the Diablo likes. Yeah, well, hopefully this one's better than Diablo. At least it, in the loot department. But uh, wife's looking forward to that, so we'll play that with her. Um, and um, Poop. What else? Have I play anything else? No, I don't think I got a lot. Not really a lot of time to play. Oh, dun 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 dun! dun. <laughs> I almost forgot about that one. So, boys and girls, this isn't a, a backtrack RPG, but it is a backtrack game. So, back in the, I don't remember. Oh, I should look up the official release date. That's what I should do. I should do that right now. We're gonna pull that bad baby up so that our audience is informed. Uh, let's see here. Here we go, right here. Bam. Kind of love the speed of the internet. Uh, released on the arcade in 1987 and later on the Nintendo Entertainment Center. Doesn't quite have that date handy, but I imagine it was like 1989, I want to say, or so. Maybe 1990. Um... Double Dragon. Dun, 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 dun. Every board begins off with that music because it shows you the mission number. Uh, it just keeps going through your head. Anyways, they've 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 released Double Dragon Neon on the PlayStation 3. I played 3. Double Dragon only in the arcade, actually. I never played the NES version. Ah, uh, the NES version was I classic. I played, like, Double Dragon 2, maybe. I know I played it way back when. I just can't remember what about it. Yeah, you know, Double Dragon was really cool because it was just a really great early side scroll and beat 'em up that you could play with a friend at the same time. So co-op action is always awesome, and it was one of the first games on the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, probably not the first. There's always a game that's earlier, but uh, it was the first one I played where you could have two people. Wait a minute, no. Well, no, I think in the Nintendo version, somebody will probably correct me, it's been so many years, I think in the Nintendo version, you couldn't play the uh, regular game in uh, two-player mode, um, it, or two-player mode was you alternate, right, you alternate, but you did have in the Nintendo version, you had the versus mode, where you could beat the crud out of each other, like a fighting game, and this was before you had Street Fighter or anything else, so it was the best thing you had to a SmackDown with your friends. So that was a ton of fun. And yes, that's mostly what Super Mario Bros. 3 was for, for me. It's like, I'll train in, in, in main game, then spend all the time instead just hopping on each other's heads in the little pipe area of this versus mode. Right? Yeah. And that's, yeah, and that's what Double, Double Dragon is. And it was just a, but in a single player mode, you had the really cool side scroll um, uh, beat em up. It was hard. Uh, and you, but you just, you just had a lot of fun with it. Um, so Double, uh, Double Dragon Neon, developed by WayForward Technologies, published by Majesco Entertainment for your PlayStation 3 entertainment system through the PlayStation Network, was released on September 11, 2012. And this is a single-player beat-em-up game. You can probably play two people at once. I'm not, I mean, it's Double Dragon after all. It says single-player on here, but anywho... This, they 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 just kind of reimagined the game with some with pretty shiny graphics, but it's still classic 2D beat 'em up action. The characters and everything's modeled in 3D, but you're side scrolling and and I mean you're just you're you're still the moves feel very 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 similar to the original Double Double Dragon. I remember in the original Double Dragon you had to 
you would earn experience in a way by beating up people hearts and every hundred hearts you would unlock another you know move there was a pattern you know you always had to do this every time you played uh neon has a lot of those moves kind of unlocked uh right at the beginning but you do power up special moves and learn new special moves um by um collecting cassettes <laughs> cassette tapes oh it's so awesome it's jazzed up music jazzed up graphics but just kind of a reimagining of the uh, uh of the original double dragon and paying really great homage with the gameplay so uh it will kick your butt the first few times and then you're like oh this is serious i only got three lives and and things hurt a lot and then you realize yeah i need to dodge i need to play this old school style and it starts to kick back in so uh, god god bless the people for way forward technologies because they just they, I think they've knocked this one out of the park. I need to play some more. I've only put about an hour or so into it, but it, it's been a lot of fun so far. So it's like ten bucks. That one's really good. So, and uh, last but not least, um, I've been I've accepted a, a role with Paizo as the Pathfinder Society venture captain uh, for the Utah region, and that's basically in English. I'm basically a, an area coordinator for their organized uh, organized play so i mean you can go and google pathfinder society if you want to know more i've talked about it a couple of times on here before and pen and paper rpgs is one of my passions and i'm excited to be able to um uh uh, work with uh, with people who love the game right here in Utah to organize events, uh, uh, set up uh, set up things that will encourage new players to come to the table and try it out. Because I think I've always said it. I think pen and paper RPG. That's you know that's where you're really playing a role. You're going to sit there at the table. You're going to act like a character. You're going to act it out. You know, and and that's really cool. And the tactical part of it, Minky. Uh, you know, I know you love tactical combat. You don't get any more tactical than a good old-fashioned pen and paper RPG hmm. uh, like uh, like Pathfinder. So I'm very excited to be part of that. The organized play, especially, makes it really exciting. So um, that the, you know that that does kind of make my my future at Backtrack here a little questionable because as I was telling Mike before, it's going to tie up a, a lot of my free time. But we're going to play it by ear, and uh, and we'll see what happens. So um, uh, who knows what the future holds? But um, I think that's about. It, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Y'all think of anything else? Nope. Okay. Um, <laughs> just that I've been watching a whole lot of Rift Track shorts lately. Oh, they have a they have a little sale going on there too. Yeah, a whole bunch of education related shorts for things like how to build better paragraphs or how to walk to school or what is nothing. If we. It's, if we said it once, we said it a thousand times, you guys need to go and get some riff tracks on. Yes, you do. It is Definitely. so funny. I can't plug that enough. Uh, you wouldn't think that two kindergarten teachers very, very slowly setting up the room that will eventually be used by kindergartners could be funny, but they make it that way. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what was the one I watched? Uh, the one about the books and the kid repairing the, the 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 old man who makes the books okay, but the books talk. Oh, that was creepy. Uh, that reminds me of the toy maker, but no, it's not. Toy Happy maker. books or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, it was creepy, but they were making fun of it the whole time. It's so freaking hilarious. 
Anywho, we thank you all for listening and everybody who writes on the boards and everybody who leaves us comments. Uh, you know, leave us feedback. We love it. Keep doing that. Um, as always, I thank Mr. Minky and uh, this uh, guy with the weird last name, Mr. Nathan. Um, I, I don't want to insult him again tonight. I'll wait till next show to do that. Um, so. <laughs> we thank you thank you guys for being on organizing putting this together um backtrack is a rpg backtrack is a production of rp gamer your source for rpg news impressions reviews articles and home to the best gaming community on the net write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcserve at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer as always listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister show rpg cast all at rpgamer.com Com. Mr. Minky. Hark, the iTunes window has appeared. Command. Enter effusive praise about every RPG backtrack ever made. You win.